Between the goal lines, it's John Kazar at Kazar NFL on Twitter. You can find me. And today we have a, a guest that I'm really happy I was able to uh, get to connect with us uh, from PFF. It's Austin Gale. He's, I believe it's the Associate Director of Content there. Austin? That's right. Associate Director of Content. Yeah. Well, what's that all about in a nutshell? <laughs> Uh, so I, I, I manage the content team here at PFF alongside our chief experience officer, George Chihuri. So uh, we manage, you know, the podcast, uh, the article content, all that stuff on the content side. Which has been flowing and growing, I would say, now for a few years, huh? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Chris, Chris Collinsworth bought majority shares of the company, took ownership of the company, I believe, in 2016, and was the first guy to really say, you know, we can, we can really build a content, a media outlet out of pro football focuses data and information and it's been really growing ever since then and i joined with the company in may of 2017 simply as a customer service guy and have worked my way into this position now which has been awesome it's been crazy to see the growth of the company and kind of the um as it kind of takes off customer service guy okay you found that little window opening and you you got in and you know and come a long way huh yeah, absolutely. I, I originally went to school to be uh, a math teacher, actually, with a minor in journalism, and eventually had offers to write. Hey, big journalism major over here, by the way. So that's what's up. Very, yeah, <laughs> very cool. Yeah, and I had I had some offers to do cover Big Ten wrestling for the Lincoln Journal Star in, in Nebraska, do high school women's softball in Baltimore, preps in Kansas, and then PFF, where I was working with part time as a data analyst or data collector, really in college. Said, hey, we have this opening. It's not writing, but it's in football. It's in Cincinnati. What's your take? And that's where I jumped. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so busy. Uh, how do you manage that load? I mean, is it just one of those things where, you know, you just have to learn how to get down a routine of steady, you know, work output, I guess is how I'll put it. It's nuts, man, especially in season. And with football, you know, covering one sport, unlike maybe what you do at a, a bigger national outlet like ESPN or whatever it may sure. be, covering one sport, you think it's easier, but the football season, how popular it is, it really doesn't stop. There really isn't a lull in football until May or June. And I think every other month outside of that, there's obviously a ton of interest in the Super Bowl, free agency, the draft, and then obviously spring camp turns up in July, and there you go, or summer camp, really. Um, so it's been fun. I think you have to work a lot. You have to, you're not working nine to five. No, this, be- this beast is year round, man. <laughs> That's for sure. It's year round and it's 24 seven. You know, right. there, there are times where Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff get traded at nine o'clock on a Saturday night and things have to go, you know, like there's honey, no, uh, I gotta go. <laughs> yeah. There's no nine to five with football, which I love. I mean, it, it's definitely, there's pros and cons to it, but I love, I love working around the clock. I love being in content and, and the, the fire that it brings for everyone. People who are working at PFF, people who are enjoying the content. There's a lot of fire in football and in, and media. Well, the way life goes is you, you can't possibly enjoy thoroughly every single thing you do, but you found your calling, I think, with football. You have to love it to, to a high degree. Um, no, 100%. And which do I? You know, I actually joined PFF for like a minute. Um, I, the, the player participation stuff was a grind for me. You know, I, I love the game of football, though. I'm all about stats and, and diving into And what you guys do, though, is very impressive. Just to top this conversation off, I just wanted to say what you do has been great, and it's here to stay for a long time. So, 
That's yeah, I really appreciate that, man. It's been it's been awesome what Chris has done with his leadership to kind of help us go through this, and I think we're going to get continue to get really better and better. Yeah, I love hearing NBC. You know, when he when he when he references PFF, and, and I know some people think that's dicey, but you guys are you're running a show now apparently because there's you know so real quick you know with linemen that's why I love you guys for with cornerbacks who you know you don't see interception stats, but what's their coverage really like? Because you know us casual fans, I'll go, <laughs> I'm going to lowball myself here. Just are just you know we can't see everything like you guys are able to go back and do so. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's where it's really pushed the game forward. It's it's forced people, even if you're not strictly using PFF grades or PFF data, it's forced people to consider evaluating different positions outside of quarterback, running back, receiver uh, on a different plane and looking at them in a win-loss situation. I know ESPN has done a great job with pass rush win rate, run deep, you know, run block win rate, those types of things. Like that didn't exist. You got to hook me up with those uh, the pressure the pressure stats, homie. That's what I need because those are tough to find, and I want to see exactly. everyone. I'm into it that much. Um, maybe we'll get into some, you know, who, who's pressure and who more here. Senior Bowl. Let's go back to that. It, it was recently, and this year I kind of actually watched the game, and I mean it wasn't the greatest thing in the world, but I want to see who can make some noise of, of the guys who, you know, a lot of them. I don't think we're getting a lot of attention. I mean, you tell me who first of all shined the most in the Senior Bowl, who stood out to you the most, and. And talk about some other guys that are maybe under the radar. Yeah, yeah. what's wild is that, you know, right now PFF works with all 32 NFL teams, and all 32 ask us to grade and evaluate every single rep in practice for the mm-hmm. Super Bowl and also the game itself. And that has given us a ton of access to the film and allowed us to really – analyze the one-on-ones at Senior Bowl, specifically in practice for offensive line and defensive line, and also wide receiver and cornerbacks. I think those are the positions where you can gain the most or glean the most Mm -hmm. from the Senior Bowl. Like, you're not going to see a running back drastically improve his stock. Michael Carter did a a little something to it. Yeah, (laughs) so in the practice week, you know, right. I, oh, I don't totally different. The yep. running back. Mm-hmm. You know, the running backs don't get asked to do a lot there. But in the game, of course, you see Michael Carter carrying multiple bodies in the end zone. That's always exciting. But <laughs> yeah. in the practice weeks, you focus on the offensive line, defensive line, corners, and wide receivers. And I think two guys from those groups, Demetri Felton, who I guess is a former running back, is making that transition to wide receiver. He's a former four-star wide receiver recruit mm-hmm. for UCLA, played wide receiver for them in 20. 20- 18, I believe, and then in 2019 and 2020, played over 300 snaps in each of those seasons at running back, both up to over 200 pounds there for UCLA, has now come back down to 189 pounds, and is really redefining himself as a slot receiver going into the NFL draft. I thought he did a fantastic job in the one-on-ones. Looked like one of the more explosive, one of the more polished wide receivers down there in Mobile. So I really do think he elevated his stock. And then offensive line, Nobody elevated their stock more probably than Quinn Miners, the Wisconsin Whitewater offensive lineman that showed up as a mm-hmm. alternate. Like he was not he was not originally invited. I think Liam Eichenberg, the Notre Dame offensive guard or offensive tackle rather, opted out of the Senior Bowl and then allowed Quinn Miners an extra spot. Swoop. He goes in and dominates, <laughs> absolutely dominates. And I think he is the guy that was probably a seventh round undrafted free agent consideration that's now legitimately going to be talked about in the fourth and fifth round, which is honestly super impressive for a division. So what is it with guys like this? They just got pure toughness and grit and they're, they're ready to shine in any moment. And this was just way to pop. It was coiling. So I also think he's got good size. Like he's a bigger offensive lineman than you normally expect coming out of division three. Like he has a ton of success in the D three going against defensive tackles that don't even weigh 270 pounds, but he came in, was, had the build, had the size to do it against Power 5 competition, then you saw him very technically sound. I know his uh, one of his coaches there at Wisconsin Whitewater, Owen Reese, who raved about this guy's talent, raved about his finishing and all that stuff. So I was not surprised that he had some success, but to have success that, to the degree he had against Power 5 
competition, including the best rep we saw was Patrick Jones, who was a former, I think, three-star, four-star recruit, played at Pittsburgh, coveted as a you know, day-two type of prospect, put him in the dirt multiple times at guard. And he also had some success at center, Pancake, Levi, Amuzrike, the Washington defensive tackle. I mean, a really successful week for Quinn Myers. I'm sure he's happy as well. So, you know, you're watching, you know, we're, we're talking right there, D-line, but let's, let's do a broad scope of, of really most positions. Now, you watch this game, you know, how many times over and over? Enough to get a gauge on each player, basically? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's like, it's okay, okay. And so, what about, what about cornerbacks? I heard there were a couple names in there that, you know, made a bit of a name for themselves. I know the sample size is still low within this one game, but, you know, as we kind of finish it off here and move forward to what we're looking forward to, and that's the draft. Uh, tell me about some other guys, you know, in the back end. Yeah, I think Trey Brown, the Oklahoma cornerback, had a lot had a very good week. It's a tough week for corners and a tough game for corners because in the Senior Bowl, you're only allowed to play cover one, cover two, or cover three. So a lot of the times, not only the wide receivers, but the quarterbacks know exactly what coverage you're in. If you're so simplified. Look, you know, it's hard to, yeah, yeah. So, so they get the crap end of a stick, you know. But, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, exactly. If you're in a too high look with two high safeties, quarterback, receivers know it's probably cover two. If you play in off coverage with a single high, cover three. And again, single high with press coverage, it's probably man. And that has been, that makes things very difficult for corners. That's why you don't expect cornerbacks to win one-on-ones or in the game consistently because they're at a disadvantage. So it's the guys that show up. It's the guys that win consistently that really impress you. And Trey Brown was that. He had two picks. In the one-on-ones, you don't get interceptions in the one-on-ones. That's not what you're, that, that, that drill is for. You're supposed to lose those reps. But really impressive week for him. I thought Thomas Graham also played really well. Keith Taylor of Washington played well. Those guys on the outside looked very good, very patient. The two Pac-12 guys, too, Keith, Washington, Keith Taylor of Washington and Thomas Graham of Oregon, guys who didn't have a ton of opportunities to play in 2020. Like, far, mm-hmm. far out did not play a ton in 2020, show up to Mobile, and had a really good week and a good game as well. And, and the quarterbacks, I know with Mac Jones out, you know, I would have loved to see that just just for a little bit. But the other guys in there, were we talking mid-round guys, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I think Kellen Mond improved his stock a bit. I was impressed with the arm talent he brings to the table. I think it's similar to what uh, maybe a Justin Fields level of arm talent that he brings. And he was checking the ball down a lot. I, I thought he looked composed. Well, you compare it to a quarterback that I don't think had a good week or a good game was Jamie Newman. I mean, he's the guy that was originally at uh, Wake Forest transferred to Georgia ahead of the 2020 season, then opted out of the 2020 season, didn't even pick up his Georgia helmet. He was there in Mobile with a Wake Forest helmet because he didn't even get to Georgia. Right. And took five sacks in the game. If you're taking five sacks that is, in yeah, the game that where stands you have, out. In, in, when, when you have it, you're not playing a ton, and you're going against defenses where you know the looks. Like, they're not blitzing you. Like I, I thought These aren't red flags, but what, they're like orange flags, though? I mean, it's like, uh... I, I, I would say I would say there, there are a couple flags in there, or maybe red, maybe orange. But, again, I think what it shined the light on is that he hasn't played football in a long time. The next okay. time Jamie Newman plays a football game, will be it'll be 19 months between the last football game he's played. That's when, it, if, if he starts week one as a rookie. That's absurd. Like, that's... That's very hard to do, especially at quarterback, where it's the biggest developmental position there is. You need experience to win at the quarterback position. Yes, tools help. Yes, tools are important. But if you're not playing the game, if you're not consistently playing the game, you'll lose it here and there. And I think Jamie Newman's lost it. He's going to have to get back on the horse. I think alarming is the decent word to use there, at least. you know. And again, this is a guy who could have could have taken advantage, upped his stock a little bit, but didn't. And I mean, there's there's plenty of quarterbacks we're about to get to here. And I think this is going to be like kind of the meat of our combo today, because I, I actually can throw in some of my opinions a little bit. But again, you do a lot of this, this work. You've watched a lot of these guys closely. 
And, and so we're going to start off with Trevor Lawrence, if, if you would allow me to, because first of all, I noticed in the draft guide, which of course I got that, it's huge, it's 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 dense, it's all that. You have no comp for Lawrence now. Is it was it just hard to not be able to find one for you guys, or like who can we? Yeah, I mean, so there's not a lot. There's we didn't want to force comps in PFF's draft guide because I do think. While player comparisons are fun, I do think they can get overutilized and oversimplify a prospect's ability. And with Trevor Lawrence, he's so rare that it is very difficult to kind of think back and look at look at a player comp for Trevor Lawrence. He is in his own breed. He's he's in rarefied air among the Thank best. Thank you. I just want you know that's really that's the, just the explanation I need because when I see that, that's like, huh? And it only makes me think they really this they think this guy's that unique. I guess is is the word. He yeah. really is. I think he's the best quarterback prospect we've seen since Andrew Luck, and he's arguably better, a better prospect than Andrew Luck, considering the level of talent he's gone against, the age at which he dominated. He was a dominant player as a true freshman mm-hmm. and has continued to get better and continue to develop. I think the only concerns you see with Trevor Lawrence, and it's hard to find negatives or cons with him, I do think the only concerns you see are that Sometimes he's overconfident with his ability, and you'll see him force throws a handful of times or think he can make throws that no human can make. But because he's Trevor Lawrence, he can do that. And you think you saw that in 2019. He does not rank first in PFF passing grade over the past two seasons. He doesn't rank first in our ball charting, our accuracy charting over the past two seasons. He doesn't because I think you see on his tape more often than not opportunities where he's like, I can make this throw and sometimes misses here and there. But that is, you know, you're, you're up. Um, What's the expression? You're just like you're tra- you're grasping at straws necessarily to try and find cons for this kid because I still think gotcha. he's still very young and he's going to get a lot better in the NFL as he continues to get coaching and he's the only quarterback in this class or at least at the top of this class that was consistently running NFL concepts in college. He was not running the spread offense. He wasn't running the run and shoot. He wasn't running an RPO heavy system. He was running a legitimate NFL offense, making NFL throws every single week, and was again one of the best co- quarterbacks in the country, if not the best. Yeah, I mean, yeah. For, for for years, I, all, it's it's kind of like, you know, when it comes to the college football scene, this is who's the guys flashing on the screen. This is who you see. And then goes out there, performs really well. Uh, I didn't see a lot of weaknesses. What, what about the screen game? Was it as frequent as much as people kind of made it out? Because they say he throws a lot of screens. And he, I mean, he threw a decent amount of screens, I think. But I, I do think that's NFL offenses. It wasn't a per, it's not a percentage that isn't comparable to a lot of offenses in today's NFL. You know who throws a ton of screens? Patrick mm-hmm. Mahomes. You know? So, like, I mean, they can't say Chiefs run a ton of screens as well. I don't think that was a concern on his statement. What's, what's different is that you look at, and in PFF system, you can look at, you know, all of his throws 10-plus yards down the football field. And you won't find a better quarterback on those throws, especially in the tight windows or in the open situations, than Trevor Lawrence. Not only can he hammer the deep ball on vertical leads, so those are those horizontal or vertical leads where you're throwing over the top, mm-hmm. over the shoulder, trying to catch a defensive back behind, but he's also very good horizontal leads on posts and deep ends and those things where... It's, we're, it's we're talking about the completeness harder. of his game, and this is what it sounds like he's able to do. I mean, all over the exactly. field. Every depth, exactly. every depth. So we're talking 10 in, the underneath, and the intermediate, and then and beyond 20 or 25. I mean, he still... He doesn't, he doesn't lose accuracy as we, get, as we go down these levels? There, there isn't a quarterback in this class I would use the word complete for outside of Trevor Lawrence. I don't think there's a word in... I don't think I would call any of the quarterback prospects over the past five years complete even Joe Burrow who we loved as the number one overall prospect last year even Baker Mayfield who we loved is one of the top prospects in that class if not, no he was the number one he prospect yes, he, on yes. our board in that class like we have not seen a complete quarterback prospect like Trevor Lawrence in quite some time how's Sam doing right now because I, I he was so high on Baker Mayfield and there was a little down and now this guy is uh he's looking promising 
Yeah, I, mean, I think everyone at PFF was very high on Baker Mayfield. He had three years at Oklahoma where he was one of the highest grade quarterbacks in college football. Had a ton of production that we were taking to at the collegiate level. See, I can't dispute that. You know, it's hard to dispute those kinds of you know ratings, numbers, and and just and for doing it for that long too. So. Yeah, so I think the only concerns we had with Baker coming out, and I think you see that in his game now, especially when he wasn't fit with the best offensive coordinator or the best offensive line, was he struggles under pressure and can bail out of clean pockets. His pocket presence was never, never a strength, even at Oklahoma, and you see that in the NFL, and it's kind of magnified with when he was with Freddie Kitchens or when the offensive line was bad or when he was with Hugh Jackson, when he wasn't in an ideal situation, not working with Lincoln Riley or not working with Kevin. Dude, Stavisky, no one would have been doing anything part. in those situations. I sort of got Freddie Kitchens. <laughs> exactly. I mean, come on. I'm just saying. And, and so it was tough for him. And good God, glad they got us uh, Fansky in there that quickly. I mean, first no, of all, absolutely. real quickly, I mean, owed to him. Huh? He, he does a fabulous job. He made Kirk look even better than he was this year last year. So, no, I, I agree. Kevin Stefanski has been awesome. I would say, he is the coach of the year this year. There, there's obviously an argument for Bruce Arians. There's an argument for Andy Reid. I think you could always go to the guys who take him to the Super Bowl. But in terms of exceeding expectations, in mm-hmm. his first year with a new new franchise, Stefanski was definitely there. I'm with you. Um, back to that number one overall projected pick. Uh, it's kind of like Burrow was last year. I mean, everyone knows. Are they, are they doing things already in Jacksonville for him down in that area? <laughs> I wouldn't even compare it to Burrow because Burrow – was a late riser. You know, it wasn't Burrow right out of the gate. You know, people were talking about Tua Tungabailoa as this, you know, tank for Tua true, true. was originally the, you know, original, originally the slogan, and then it became bomb for Burrow late in the process for the Bengals. Now, for Trevor, people have been taking for Trevor since freaking 2019. I mean, this guy has been considered like the top quarterback prospect since he was really a recruit. And um, in fact, he was... Yeah, he embodies according- Golden, Golden Boy for sure ever yeah. since, for a long time now. I- yeah, what were you going to say though? In fact... I'm pretty sure in Car- he went to school in Cartersville, Georgia, and, wa- and lost only one game or two games. Was the number one re- recruit in all of the country, uh, according to 24/7 Sports, and the number two recruit in the country, according to ESPN. Behind who? Who do you think? Who was that at the time? Justin, Justin Fields. Which Justin was okay. Fields was ESPN's number one recruit at the time, coming out of Cartersville, Georgia, as well, or Georgia as well. I don't think it was the same school, but that I think shows just like. This guy has literally faced very little adversity, has been doubted very little in his career. You know, you actually see more guys than not don't do as well in these situations. Am I wrong? Like, I'm not saying he's defying odds. I'm not trying to dramatize it, but let's look at the disparity here almost. And and Trevor Lawrence doesn't get enough credit for living up to lofty expectations every single year of his collegiate career. Even when battling COVID-19 this past season, still lived up mightily to expectations, didn't go all the way to the national championship, but still played some of the best football of his career. So because you can't say a bad thing about this guy, legitimately speaking, it's kind of hard to say, you know, that he's not going to be what, what at least what we saw from college a little bit more. And to top off the discussion on him, what about his run game? Now, because NFL protects their quarterbacks more, and he, I think he has some huge runs. I don't know if they were always offbeat or or designed, but how does that part of his game translate? Is he going to be doing it less, and is, does that bring down any bit of him? It's wild that his athleticism and his rushing ability has become an afterthought because it's arguably he's arguably one of the more athletic quarterbacks in the class. Mm-hmm, like right. He can legit probably run under a four seven and should be utilized in that manner at least early in his career. I want to run the football with Trevor Lawrence in the NFL. He is that good of an athlete with really good size. And you saw that late in, you know, in both postseasons in 2020 and 2019. You saw Clemson's offensive coordinator utilize him as a runner in key situations, in high-leverage situations like short third downs, goal line situations. And I think NFL teams, at least the, 
I think Urban Meyer and company, when he gets to Jacksonville, would be very smart to continue to do that in the NFL. You have no doubts that that, that I mean, that, that should be pretty good, those two, and that whole, it's like a refresh for the entire organization, just based on two assets changing. <laughs> like No, I, 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 I'm very confident that they'll have some success early on. I'm not saying they're Super Bowl champions the in NFL. 2021, but right. <laughs> I do think you see them have a ton of success because I also think there's some pieces there. The offensive line is young, but building. You also have DJ Chark, LaVisca Chenault Jr. You add maybe a piece here or there in free agency, and I think you have an offense that you can win six, seven games with as early as year one. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't say playoffs year one, but by year two with that seventh seed now, it's not out of the question at all, you know. Not at all. Some things have to happen. You know, Trevor has to pan out, but I, and I do, I'm starting to learn there's no doubts. Not that I had some, it's just sometimes you always see these number one guys, boom, boom, and some... You know, but lately, I mean, the young studs in this league, obviously Josh Allen turning him. So, I mean, it is, uh, it's pretty amazing. So Justin Fields, obviously, I think unanimous number two we're looking at. Um, Some weaknesses in his game, his out-of-pocket accuracy on the move. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I would argue that it's not completely unanimous. I do think that Zach Wilson is going to make a run for the number two position in this class. I think Zach Wilson of BYU right now is on PFF board as the number two quarterback with Justin Fields is three because, and to, but to talk about Justin Fields, I think Justin Fields is three. He doesn't have the same level arm talent as a Trevor Lawrence or, or Zach Wilson. They have better arms. They have more. There's a bigger rocket on that shoulder for Lawrence and Wilson than there is for Fields. It's not to say Fields doesn't have a good arm. It's just not of the caliber of Lawrence or Wilson. And in a league where Every single team is looking for their next Patrick Mahomes, their next Josh Allen, their next Kyler Murray. They're looking for a guy that has a rocket for for an arm. And Justin Fields doesn't necessarily have that. And I think that's a big reason why you see him at three. Another reason, holds the ball too long. And you saw that Ohio State in 2019 and in 2020. He's a guy similar to Deshaun Watson that can sometimes think he's a superhero. And when he gets worked off his first read, rather than getting the ball out, rather than throwing it away working to his second progression, you see him hold the football, try and scramble, try and be a superhero, and that often leads to big negative plays in sacks, inaccurate throws, or even picks. And I think that's the concern with Fields. Can that be coached up in the NFL? Absolutely. Does he have all the tools to be a better player in the NFL? 100%. I think he could be a Deshaun Watson, Cam Newton type, and that he's a rushing quarterback that can deliver the ball accurately down the field. He was the most accurate quarterback in all of college football in 2020, according to PFF's ball charting, where we chart every single throw right. on location. And he how far it is from that location, right. And he was, cl- on average, closer than anyone to where the ball should have been going? Exactly. And I think that is why he's a tier above some of these other bigger athletic rushing quarterbacks. Because if you have that rushing floor, but are also insanely accurate with the football, even if he is working to his first read a ton, that's enough for me from a trace perspective where I feel very confident about developing him as a tier one type of starter in the NFL. Safe to say he's going to pan out better than Haskins. Yeah. Uh, the people who are making comparisons to Justin Fields. Why is that Haskins even being brought are, up in the first, right? Like, I don't know. I, I, it's honestly frustrating. I mean, you can't say in school it's disrespectful. In no, I get, I, I mean, come on. They're trying to force it, right? That's all. They're absolutely oh. trying to force it. The number one thing, too, is like Dwayne Haskins was recruited to Ohio State, was Ohio State guy through and through. Justin Fields was the number one recruit, according to ESPN, number two, according to 24-7 Sports, and originally went to Georgia and then transferred to Ohio State. They were getting a different caliber uh-huh. player at the quarterback position. Fields is not even in Haskins' ballpark. <laughs> So what I did, I did some research. I thought this, you know, I like to look up angles and stats whenever I can. Now, it's different than your guys' system. It's just looking up traditional stats, but it's an interesting one. Completion percentage and turnovers on third and fourth down, so the money downs. 
And you mentioned in Fields, out of the six uh, top prospects at QB, Fields was fifth with 58%. This was a pretty big drop-off um, on third and fourth down. But guess who was number one? Was it Trevor Lawrence? No, he was number two, 70% um, passing. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's your boy. It's, it's, yeah, it's Wilson. And Zach Wilson. it's 78% over Lawrence, who's 70% at two. And, and this guy is the only one of the six that didn't even have a turnover on third down. Uh, final year. So everyone's final year. For Lance, it was obviously 2019, right? And he was bottom of the barrel anyways. But that's hard to judge. We'll get to Lance in a second. So Wilson, I mean, it's matching up with your thoughts on, you know, how successful he could be in the NFL. Again, this stuff is, it's tough to project. But what do you like on Zach Wilson? Yeah, very accurate quarterback, just like Justin Fields, has a howitzer for an arm, like Trevor Lawrence, and one of the highest graded players in the country this past year. And everyone wants to say level of competition, which of course is a factor. PFF's grades at face value are not adjusted for opponent, but still, to, you can only play the player, the teams on your schedule. That's you know, a classic statement. For, <laughs> it's so true, though. It, 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 knocking players for the level of competition is one thing, but to severely knock players for it, I think, is always over-concerning. Yeah. Like you, if you dominate at any level of the game, whether it's FCS, FBS, whatever it may be, that is a positive. You know, that is mm-hmm. a positive. Here's the, here, when it comes up and it's bad, is if you play poorly against poor competition. That's when you have concerns. If you were talking about a legitimate prospect, say he's this five-star athlete that transferred to San Jose State and still did not play well, that is a huge concern. But There's the red flags flying forward, from every which exactly. direction at that point. I mean, come on. Exactly. Right, right. And then Zach Wilson has the arm talent. He has the accuracy. The decision-making there is one of the highest-graded passers when pushing the ball outside the numbers from the opposite hash, and that is a testament to arm talent. There aren't quarterbacks who make or even attempt as many throws Zach Wilson put accurately from the opposite hash outside the numbers. That just goes to show. I like that. That's a good one. That's a good one. And anticipation, all of these things. He's also an athlete. Right. Will he be a running quarterback in the NFL? Not until but he, he can when you need him to, and that's really what's yeah. most important. Yeah. I don't think the coach really wants him. Again, that's what I was saying about Lawrence, but I, I think he's going to be utilized fully, by the way. I agree with you on that still, at least for the first contract until that the second one. But uh, Wilson, we, he can move, and, and there's plenty of times where he was able to do that. But, I mean, this this arm talent, I mean, it's sparkling, right? When you, when you talk about people wanting mm-hmm. the next Mahomes, I mean, we're, yeah, this, this is I mean, the this, one. This arm talent is absurd. Right, right. 100%. And so the 78% now, I get why it's a little inflated over the next best guy uh, when it comes to third and fourth down because his competition, you know, uh, was, was definitely different. But Mac, Mac Jones here we're going to switch to, and he's an interesting one because it's kind of masked by Alabama and their ability to kind of always make the quarterback look good. But what do you see when you really look at him individually on tape? Yeah, so Mac Jones, another guy that graded really well, very productive in Alabama, good decision maker, accurate with the football. The only real legitimate concerns with Mac Jones are the tool. Like, he has the worst arm of the last three quarterbacks we've mentioned, and it's not close. He also is not a very good athlete. Like, he is not, he's not a guy that's going to be a legitimate runner with the football. Wilson, Fields, Lawrence can all legitimately call. You can call quarterback design runs with those guys and have success. You're not going to see that with Mac Jones. And I think, again, when you're going back to what the NFL is today, the NFL is run by quarterbacks that can make all of the throws inside and outside of structure. Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, even Tom Brady, though he doesn't scramble to make off-platform throws, deliver an accurate ball down the football field under pressure. The threshold's getting higher, and yet we're still seeing more guys be able to get it or get to it. And and it's really interesting. I love evolution, man. (laughs) But it's... And so now we have a... So the measuring stick's a little different in Mac Jones, so that's the question marks there. But at the same time, you know, 
displayed, and especially big games, the ability to still get it done. Of course, you know, the weapons he had. I mean, we're talking about... Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so, just, so when you're buying into a Mac Jones, say you are drafting him in that 15 to 25 range of the first round, okay. even in the second round, not sure where he lands yet, you're kind of buying into the idea that we're going to have to build around this kid. Like, we're going to have to fit this guy with a ton of weapons, a very good offensive line, and a good defense to consistently win in the postseason with him. Because he's not going to be Patrick Mahomes. He's not going to be Aaron Rodgers or Kyler Murray or Josh Allen. It's okay, we can get that out of the way now. (laughs) And if you want to say, well, Tom Brady's a statue, whatever it may be, if you're projecting your draft picks to be Tom Brady, you should probably quit your job already. That is a future <laughs> Hall of Fame quarterback we will never see again. Literally never agreed, see again. Agreed, agreed. Yeah. The, the best quarterbacks of tomorrow are guys that fit, not always, but fit the Patrick Mahomes build. Guys that can run, guys that can throw off platform, all the, all, make all the throws, have these big arms. Because the NFL caters to the passing game so much now with how rules are built and all those things that you need a quarterback that can really dictate dictate the game mm-hmm. and if you're just a guy that facilitates like brady was like breeze was Peyton manning in his prime had a pretty good arm but even he late in his career was a facilitator if you want to win now in the nfl with a facilitator Masterful. you're yeah, going yeah. to need all the weapons in the world you're going to need a good receiving court good defense it's just so hard with today's salary cap and all those things to build a legitimate juggernaut on every other position outside of quarterback well, you just lean on him as a facilitator. Right. And, you know, you mentioned arm. So so as we move on to, we have two more to cover real quick here of the QBs. That, that there's, It's kind of deep, though, to see this many potentially going. What are we talking? First and second round between, <laughs> or are we seeing all six gone? I mean, what are your, what are your thoughts about that, the complete picture? I, I, think we see, I think we see four quarterbacks go inside the top ten and then five inside the first round. That fourth quarterback in the top ten is Trey Lance of North Dakota State, and then Mac Jones, I do think, slips into the back end of the first round. The first quarterback of the second round is probably Kyle Trask. I also think, you know, there's um, the Stanford kid who's only played 10 games, Davis Mills, who has, like, a legitimate rocket for an arm, but has only literally played 10 games in his collegiate career. He's an interesting player. That's another prospect that I think could get some more hype as we get closer to April's draft, as people watch more film. But the, the quarterback class really just drop off after Lance, and then a second drop off after Mac Jones. Okay. I'm seeing what you're saying now a little bit. And so Lance, I mean, the time not playing for the chunk of 2020 doesn't concern you because we kind of know what kind of uh, quarterback he's going to be, which is going to need to rely heavily the offense on running. You think so? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he is a bigger, more athletic Jordan Love, in my opinion. A guy that has like an absolute rocket, all the arm talent you want. He He has better arm than Jordan Love. This guy has a cannon. He has... Possibly the best arm in the class. Maybe Trevor Lawrence has one better. But like his arm, okay. he can make 60, 70 plus yards rows. Shiny toy. The the wrist. <laughs> he, is, he is insane. The problem with Trey Lance, hasn't played a ton of football. Didn't play all of last year outside of the game against Central Arkansas. And even when he did play in 2019, only averaged 18 dropbacks a game. North Dakota State runs the football more than they throw. Uh, I'll tell you right now, no NFL offense does that. You're going to bring him in as a project. He needs to play the position completely differently in the NFL to have success. And you're banking on a lot of development and a lot of projection. That's why he will likely go in the top 10 because he has all these tools because he's this exciting, but wow. still he's not going to be a guy top that 10? I, oh, that's, I, I feel confident. He goes in the top 10. I feel very confident. He goes in the top 10 talking to Daniel Jeremiah. Some see him as the number two quarterback in this class ahead of field, ahead of Will. I heard that. That's how yeah. much they love his tools. And I think for Trey Lance, you're not drafting him to play in year one. That's why he's often mocked to the Atlanta Falcons at number four. You're drafting him to develop him as a piece on your team and eventually turn him into this starter in the NFL. 
But that's what I mean. It's what you got to do, right? <laughs> I mean, it's why you see these guys, you see the tools, and that's the whole job. You know, you're not going to get these guys that just come into your franchise and just take over, boom, like Mahomes, who was put in a great situation, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. But that's not to deny that talent because you know it's looking pretty, it's looking pretty all-time status already. Just want to say, uh, receivers, real quick before we play a little NFL game, it's just a quick game of six questions for you. I want to see how you think on the spot, which is you know I think pretty sharp. I think <laughs> all your work. I mean, you hope that it's led to something like that, right? Yeah, absolutely. So here we go with uh, receivers. Now, the, the unanimous or, you know, are we talking about how productive and dominant that Devontae Smith was, but where, where do we have him sitting with the other ones? Yeah, Devontae Smith right now is actually PFS wide receiver three, which hmm. I've heard at face value obviously is insane. Everyone's like, this is the first Heisman winner we've seen since Desmond Howard. What are you thinking? So productive. He's still the eighth best player in the class for us. I mean, he's still top ten among all prospects, he's just number three behind Jamar Chase and Jalen Waddle right now. And that's splitting hairs between Waddle and Smith. I think there's a level of separation between Chase and Devontae Smith because of the physical dominance Chase brings to the table. But there is, it, you're splitting hairs with Waddle and Devontae Smith, mm-hmm. two very productive players in their own right. With Smith, what you love is the production, the release packages, the route running. The, I think he can run the vertical route tree really well. The ball skills are there. Plays the wide receiver position well. The reason he gets comps to Marvin Harrison and Isaac Bruce are not only because he weighs 180 pounds, and those guys did too, but because those guys were legitimate technicians. They did not win as 4-2 athletes. They won because they were technicians. They didn't win because they were 6-4-2-10. I mean, their footwork is on point. Let's go look it over at uh, Devontae Adams right now and see how he wins a lot of his one-on-one matchups, I'm sure. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) And I think Devontae Smith is not going to is not going to win a beauty contest with his shirt off. He's not going to win a ton of 40-yard dashes. But what he'll <laughs> He's win no DK Metcalf, time, right? Yeah. <laughs> shirt off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Think... He's not in Metcalf's range. But what he does well is play the wide receiver position really well. He has floor in the NFL is very high. And I think you have to get excited about that. I like him a lot. I see him as a top 10 player in this class. Okay, Ron Delmore. Now, we know about the size, but what do we know about the snaps that were taken on the outside? Were they productive? He might be the most ridiculous all-around athlete in the class. Okay. I mean, if we had an opportunity at a combine, you'd be looking at a freak of nature, a guy that could run legitimately in the low 4-3, squat over 600 pounds. Like the guy, the people at P- Purdue talk about this guy like he's a Greek god because of the, what he can do in the weight room, what he's done on the football field. At 18 years old, a true freshman at Purdue, he was putting the moves on every single team he went against. He led the team in receiving as a true freshman, broke PFF records for yards after the catch per reception, broke PFF records for yards per outrun at 18 years old in the Big Ten, playing at Purdue where he was the best player on the football field over the past five years at the Boilermakers fran- I mean, uh, program. I think that it's is what's truly impressive. The only yeah. concerns you have with Rondell Moore is you haven't seen it, and he's been hurt a lot. He's also very small. They're, 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 like, those concerns are obvious. He, won't, he likely won't go in the first round because of the concerns with playing time and injuries and those things, but if he does fall today, too, you're getting an absolute monster from a gadget player perspective that if you can scheme targets to early in his career, you'll see a positive return on investment. Ooh, gadget, that word even. I mean, is it just one of those players, it's, it's like when you're on the field, it doesn't matter if they're a running back or a receiver, you just get the ball in their hands. And, so, and then yeah. they'll make magic happen. I mean, that's okay. So that should, be, that should be really interesting. Wow, okay. And then running backs, uh, this is... Travis Etienne, what I saw, he was kind of an engine for Clemson more than people know. I know you hear about the name, you know, Trevor Lawrence, but Travis Etienne, I mean, is he, he's my number one. Where does he sit for you? Yeah, number one running back in the class, according to PFF. We really like Travis Etienne. We thought 
If he came yeah. out in 2019 or 2020, he would have been the number one <clears> running back for us again. We were surprised that he decided to go back to school because with the, at the running back position, I don't have to tell you this, the, the, the prime age for running back is like early 20s, and you want to get to the NFL as soon as possible. So to see him go back to school was very interesting. Now going into the 2021 class, easily – Maybe not easily, that's aggressive, but the best running back in this class, even ahead of Najee Harris, who was absolutely dominant at Alabama. You're getting a guy yeah. that's a legitimate threat as a receiver. And when you're drafting running backs highly, and when you're looking at guys at the top backs in the class, Gotta do both. they have to make an impact <laughs> as a receiver. Well, even in the, how big are you on the blocking as well? I mean, it just can't be Block, atrocious. No, blocking's huge, too. Okay. Blocking's huge, too. But I think you have to have, it's not that you have to have both. Because if you're a very good receiver, we'll constantly put you out on a route, and we'll have those, and we'll have wet packages for you where you're running routes consistently. We'll, we'll find but it, if yeah. you're not a good receiver, being a good blocker, so you can stay in on passing downs, be a guy to chip, and be the guy to do those things, that's also very important. Okay, so my last question to you, and, and it may be tough, it's, it, it, but I'd be surprised if you had one right off the top of your head. Who's your favorite prospect? Period in the upcoming draft. Oh man, that is tough. I mean, it's hard to. I'm not going to come out. This isn't my. I just I thought I'd give it a shot because everyone has favorites, but I'm sure you have a whole clump. <laughs> this, this isn't my official answer, but I, I mean it's hard to say. Trevor Lawrence is my favorite player in the class because he is the best we've really seen. Wooden dog, yeah. Don't time. worry. I do think <laughs> I do think that if I had to pick one that I do think is going to have a ton of success in the NFL, I think it's Penny Sewell, the Oregon offensive tackle who opted out of the 2020 season, will likely be a top five pick in this class and. What he did in the Pac-12, again, another guy that at 19 years old, similar to Rondell Moore at 18, at 19 years old was dominating his opposition. I think he's going to be one of the best offensive tackles in the NFL very early. I mean, I've been hearing about him now for, for a while. Like when you, when you can already project a lineman top five like the year before, I mean, I don't know. You probably even know how much earlier he was being touted about, you know, more than just before yeah, last year. I mean, year. This, <laughs> he is... Uh, He's another guy that is like a legitimate legend coming out as a recruit. And even his brother, his brother who plays at Oregon now, Noah Sewell, plays linebacker. He's another freak in his own right. The Sewell brothers are, are dominant athletes, and I think both The whole guys, way. They've been making, the making noise for a while. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, this is a little game. We're switching to NFL, which I'm sure you're capable of doing. It's called Pick 6 Quick here. It's just six questions. It's an either-or. Some of them might be tough, though. I mean, if the prospect one was, we'll see what happens here. So, number one... <clears throat> Better pure runner, Dalvin Cook or Nick Chubb? Whew. I'll go Nick Chubb. Okay. Uh, you have a three-year window starting now to win it all. Your QB, Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson? Deshaun? <laughs> I'm going to go Deshaun Watson. Okay. I don't mind it right now. We'll see where he ends up. Who finishes with, uh, who finishes with more all pros by career's end, Trey White or Jair Alexander? And it's for first team all pro. Hmm. I'm going to go Jair Alexander. I like it. I'm a Packer fan. Low-key. Uh, best coach in the NFL not named Andy Reid or Bill Belichick? Might be an easy one. I, I honestly think it's Kyle Shanahan. I think Kyle Shanahan's the best coach in the NFL after those two. What about McVay and the whole halftime lead thing? Just a stat. I, I, I'm a big fan of Sean McVay. I, I think they're held in similar regard, but I think I'd lean Shanahan over McVay. This next one might need a little bit of an explanation as well. Uh, what is more important, an elite pass rush or an elite coverage? Elite coverage. I, I think coverage is more important. PFF has done a study about that mm-hmm. coverage is more volatile. Co- you know, playing elite coverage is more volatile. It's rare that you see a back end of a defense have a ton of more premium year one and gotcha. year two. It, and it's and it's it's harder to get. But when you have it, it's better than having a pure pass rusher. Now, here's the thing: pass rushing production is more predictive, more stable. If you are a very good pass rusher, Khalil Mack, T.J. Watt, whatever it may be, it's likely your production is going to maintain over the course of multiple seasons. Mm-hmm. But cornerback, 
you can allow a ton of yards into your coverage one year and then be a dominant player next. It is very hard to maintain high levels of production and coverage. But when you have it, it is better because getting better coverage forces the opposing quarterback to hold the ball longer and put your defense in a position to get pressures and make things happen on the back end. This is something you guys have been holding on to for a while now. You've done your study in depth, and here we go. We, like, it's coverage. You truly believe like deep down, and, some but, da- and so, data proves so it, it. But I will say this. I will say this, because I think they, I get asked that question a ton, and PFF gets, it gets brought up with PFF a ton. But I will say this. It's not, it's not black and white. You know, it, it, sure, yes, nothing, I like yeah. coverage over pass rush, but you need both. Like you can't, you can't afford <laughs> not to have both. I, I do think that if I was starting an NFL team, you're looking to invest in coverage. This if is why I'm not going to grade things, you too harshly on these. Don't worry, Austin. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, so here we go. Uh, we're going to do our sixth and final question. You got a little brain break there. What's more likely for the Rams next season: missing out on the playoffs entirely or making the Super Bowl? Oh, missing m- missing the playoffs entirely, I think, is more likely than going to the Super Bowl. As much as I think Matthew Stafford is an upgrade over Jared Goff, I do think it's not – it's a marginal upgrade, not a significant upgrade. As much as – as Well, I think somewhere is, in between those think, two. But it's tough. I know what you mean. Like, you just I – don't, I don't think that Matt, Matthew Stafford was the difference here. I don't think he's going to be the difference here. Will he make them a better offense? Likely. God, we've been but waiting also, to see this guy un- get like out of this out of this where he was. Matthew un- Stafford, if he stays healthy, will play the best football of his career for Sean McVay. Full stop. Right. But that defense without Brand Staley is going to be bound for some regression. Stars are going to get older. They're going to get hit with more injuries. There's than two they sides of the ball. Yep, absolutely. That's how it works. Defense defenses in the NFL are very volatile. It's hard to maintain like a juggernaut defense year over year. Look what has happened over the past few years with the Bills, the Jags, the Bears, these defenses that were dominant in their postseason runs a few years ago but have fallen off a bit. Even San Francisco. Look what happened. San Francisco in 2019 had one of the best defenses really we've seen in the NFL, and they've fallen off. Look at New England. New England in 2020 was on a pace that we had not seen from an NFL defense in NFL history and has fallen off even with the same talent and those things. Defense is bound for regression for Los Angeles. And Matthew Stafford, though he'll play his best football with Sean McVay, I don't know if that's enough to bring them all the way to the Super Bowl. Maybe they do miss the playoffs. We'll see. We have a whole offseason ahead of us. By the way, I, I appreciate this uh, tonight because I, I know you're a busy guy, but to fit in and talk some football, I'm sure I'm sure you didn't mind too much, right? No, absolutely. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, it's uh, Austin Gale with us sort of PFF. He's at PFF underscore Austin, G-A-Y-L-E, Gale, on Twitter. So what about your podcast? I mean, that's where I spotted you, and I was like, I want to get this guy on. Push your podcast yeah, real podcast quick. Yeah, podcast is uh, Two Foreign Drafts. I host it with uh, a fellow PFFer and PFF underscore Mike, former Bachelorette contestant, NFL draft guru. It's a lot of fun. We have a ton of fun. We talk drafts. We talk rookies, all that stuff. Beautiful. Maybe we'll chat later this year when things get rounded out more around the league. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, here we go. Between the goal lines, another episode in the books. PFF Austin.